Good morning. If you have a Bible, please uh, turn over into to John. The Gospel of John, chapter 9, is where we're going to be this morning. Um, but before we get started, let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, together, God. We pray that your Holy Spirit work powerfully on us. Lord, help me... Uh, Help me get out of the way. Let me stand behind the cross and let people see Jesus. Let me see. They may see you. Pray that I can be an instrument of your will. Father, work powerfully through me and, and work in your Holy Spirit in each and every one of us, God. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to, um, to be able to see and see you, Jesus. We love you. We give thanks to you and praise to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. I had a moment of panic because I stuck my notes inside my jacket pocket earlier, and I was thinking, where did they go? Uh, one Sunday I actually came, and uh, I left during communion, because I came with notes, and then they disappeared. So if some of you took it that Sunday, shame on you. But, uh, no, I, um, so I had a moment of panic. I was like, oh no, I think I can do the whole thing, but it's better not to. Amen. So, the, uh, the title of uh, this lesson for this morning is Sight for the Blind. Sight for the Blind. I, I debated about just titling it, Are You Blind? Um, but, you could if you wanted. It would still work. But in, um, in John chapter 9, we're going to go ahead and, and jump right into this scripture this morning. But it's, uh, this is Jesus. He's been moving on in his ministry and we're going to pick up in verse 1, really seeing him meet the needs of the people around him. But starting in verse 1, it says, As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long, uh, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can, uh, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. And so the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Is this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted... I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. And he told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Still have a ways to go. But it says, They brought him in, in verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. 
He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. And finally they turned to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. The Jews still do not believe. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Uh, We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. Right? How is it that he can see? Uh, Sorry. But how can he see now? Who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He's of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been, uh, been blind. Give glory to God, they said, which means tell the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you that I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) Then they hurled insults at him and said, You're this fellow's disciple? We're the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for as for this fellow, we don't even know where he is from. The man answered, Now isn't that remarkable? You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that he that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Right? We're going to stop there for now. That's, a, that's a, quite a passage, right? We walked through. But I think when we look at what I hope to do is I want to, I want to walk through this scripture this morning a little bit. I want to look at, you know, when you think, okay, a man born blind, how does that, that apply to us? I want to look at some of the big, the main ideas, the, the, what would we say is the major themes of this scripture that maybe we can even apply to ourselves today, right? But before we do that, I want to walk through this really quick. So, so do we kind of outline this passage? What do we have? You know, when we look at it, we see Jesus' disciples, right? They're introduced to this blind man, and they're saying, Alright, Jesus, who did something bad that God's cursed this kid, essentially, right? 
I don't know why I always think of this man as a kid. Maybe it's because they brought his parents in. Um, but they refer to him as a man. It's possible he could have been a young man, but it always refers to him as a man, not necessarily being young. I just have it stuck in my head that way. He's a bold young guy. He was young. But, you know, we look at this, and, and Jesus says, you know what? What happened to this kid is so that God could be glorified. Right? That's where we go from. Then he commands, Jesus commands the boy. He says, all right. He says, go do this to be healed. The kid obeys. This guy obeys Jesus. Right? He obeys Jesus. He goes and he washes. Now, um, I want to I show you guys something really quick. He goes to this place called the Pool of Siloam. Now, this is, they've actually uncovered the Pool of Siloam. This was, this was actually found, I think, in the last two decades. They, they rediscovered the Pool of Siloam. Um, this left side here is actually, uh, it's, it's what's called the King's Garden. They, they filled this in in about 70 A.D. Um, they came in, they, they filled this whole area in, um, and then they, it was, so it was disappeared. And then they were doing some irrigation work or some sewer work in the city. And then they came upon this and started to excavate. And then came to realize, wow, this is actually, uh, biblically, this is the location of where the Pool of Siloam would be. But in the Pool of Siloam, the reason I'm showing you this is, he said, go and wash. Now, when the Jewish people had, uh, they had these things called mikvahs. It's, it's places where they could go and, and be ceremony. Abulations is the word, but they could cleanse themselves or be ceremonially cleaned. And, and they would go to these pools and they would be able to, to wash. Now, if you go and you read through Leviticus, you'll find that oftentimes when it says go and wash, it literally means to fully immerse yourself in water. It's not like, you know, I'm going to go just wash my hands, splash some water on my face. It's, it's washing would literally be a full immersion uh, to be... Uh, Ritually clean to become purified, uh, it, that concept of being washed. And the reason I, I say this is because there were times where people could wash their hands or wash their face or wash their feet, but to do that, they would just use like a, a container and pour it over somebody's hands or somebody could just splash it on their face. Jesus actually sent him to this pool to do it, right? And, and this, was, this was a mikvah. Now, this one's unique in the sense that it would be huge. Um, can you go to the next slide? So it doesn't... You can see that it's, it's, it drops down and it gets pretty deep. As far as you see it is kind of long, that's, it was supposed to be that wide as well. So this was a, a very, very large... Uh, area. Some think that they probably, some people might have even just used it as to swim in and whatnot. But because of the Jewish ceremonies of washing, it would make sense that they would have a place to be able to wash. Does that make sense? Anyway, so he sends this guy here to go obey and wash himself before he's cleansed. Uh, and, and then by obeying Jesus, he is healed. He receives his sight back, right? And so we, we keep going through it. Then this young man goes, and people that know him start to see him. I'm like, no way, that's not that kid. Or, that's not that guy, right? And, and he's like, no, can, I mean, you got to imagine, I would be, if somebody denied me, I'm like, I'd be like, grabbing it's me, it's me! You know, I'm like, I would want to just, like, grab them and be like, no, it really is me. Jesus did this, right? Proclaiming how... Jesus had changed him. 
But people were still denying it. The Pharisees were angry that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. They bring this kid in. They start questioning him. The kid's parents, he brings, they, they bring the guy's parents in. And they're like, hey, was this guy born blind? They're like, yeah, he was born blind. You know, I'm sure they're happy for their child. But we, I think one thing we don't, we can't quite relate to is this threat of saying you're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. Right? To, to be kicked out of the synagogue, this was the cultural hub of a community. Right? This is where, this is in essence, you're saying you're, you're being disowned from your family. Right? It, it, it would be so extreme. Like, the, the relational elements, uh, even abilities for, to some extent, probably trade or food or business. Um, it, every aspect of your life would be extremely impacted by being kicked out. Everybody you knew you would be cut off from. You get what I'm saying? So this was a serious threat. So much so that a parent who you would think would normally rejoice that their child uh, could now see is going, yeah, but, but we don't know exactly how that happened, right? So it brings this up in this idea. Then this young guy still comes in. He goes, nope, nope. Jesus did it. I'm his disciple. Do you want to be his disciple too, Right? goes on, the guys get angry. And then, whether it's advertent or inadvertently, he actually quotes, a, he, he references a, a couple different scriptures to him. And um, we're going to talk about those in a little bit. But how he handles that situation is unique. Now, for all of us, I want us to look at how do maybe some of these major themes apply to us today. You guys with me? All right. So when you think about in verse 1 through 5, what do you guys, when we see, we look at this, he comes in and he says, this idea that the misfortune is punishment from God. Right? This kid's born blind, and then somehow we're going, you know what? This kid was born blind, his parents did something, or he did something, and so God's punishing them. What Jesus says is, you know what misfortune is? Misfortune is an opportunity to show the power of God. And I've often thought about this when people ask me, you ever had the question, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Right? I've heard many people bring that challenge to go, why would a good God let these bad things happen? Right? Jesus' response is that at least in part, it's this is an opportunity to display the power of God. Right? So, so when we think about this idea of misfortune happening, Jesus shows up to help someone, to serve someone, to heal someone, to aid someone, to provide food to someone. And then when we think that we are now Christ's ambassadors, because Jesus says He is the light of the world, right? But then He later tells us that we are the light of the world. So when we look at, when we see misfortune, do we realize that that's our opportunity to show the power of God? You guys get what I mean by that? I think this is something that we could all take away and look at. When we see misfortune, we should see opportunity. 
And we should look for opportunity to display the power of God, the love, the mercy, the compassion. I mean, that's part of what makes hope so amazing, hope worldwide, is that's an opportunity to do that. Right? And if you wanted to know, hope does, uh, they don't just do youth cores anymore, they do uh, volunteer cores. And, and so there are people who will take their vacations and go and serve for a week or two weeks somewhere in a needy community and, and hope will set you up with a place to go, people to serve. They'll, they'll kind of help you with some resources and the ability to do that. But it, it's the, and, and it provides, they help provide that opportunity. Right? And so, but we can also think, that's on a large scale maybe for natural disasters, but what about the small scale? Somebody at work, you find out they're getting a divorce. Right? Or their family members passed away. Or... You know, even here amongst one another, loss of job or different hard things of life, illness, sickness, hardship. Are we there to really enforce the love of Christ? You guys with me? Misfortune's an opportunity to show the love of God. Make sense? I think that's one of the major themes here. You know, in verse 6 through 7, when we look at, at this scripture, what happens? Jesus says, go and wash. He puts the mud on his eyes and he says, go and wash. And what does the young guy do? He obeys Jesus. And what does he receive? He receives healing. Right? He is healed because of his obedience to Christ. You know, I think we've got to remember and acknowledge that obedience... Obedience to Jesus, obedience to God's word brings relief and it brings healing. Right? It brings relief and it brings healing. You know what's funny is this guy didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah at that point. I don't know if anybody catches that. He, he acknowledges like he's a man from God, maybe he's a prophet, but he doesn't know that he's the Messiah. But he obeys with faith and God heals, God heals him. I think one thing we can take away from this as well is that when people obey God's word or they obey Jesus, they're going to find relief. And that often happens before they even become Christians. Right? And that's a powerful thing. I've seen, I've seen people's lives radically change. And you have seen your lives, so many of you, before you even became a Christian. Right before you, you were before you obeyed and got baptized and, and were made new. Right, God began to change you and make you new. Right to heal you and help you change. You know, I I look at this scripture and I go, we've all seen people radically transformed, but it comes through obedience. And I want to encourage you and remind you of the, that because sometimes we feel overwhelmed at the idea of doing some things that God calls us to do. But man, we've got to believe and remember that obedience to Christ brings blessings. Does that make sense? I think that's a big theme we can take away from this. You know, verses 8 through 12, when we look at some people will see the power of God right in front of their face. This, this guy is in front of people who've seen him before and they're going, is that that, is that, that guy? And some people are like, I think that's that guy. And some people are going, that's not that guy. And he's running up going, no, 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 I am that guy. You get what I'm saying? He's, he's telling them, no, 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 I, I, it, it is me. I, I've been changed by Jesus, right? I have been changed. But people will deny 
Some people will deny. Some people will acknowledge. But what made a big difference is that that man going and saying, no, it is me, it is me. And then what was the question those people asked? How did this happen? How did this happen? And then he talks about Jesus. He didn't know Jesus was the Messiah, but he knew that Jesus had healed him and changed him, right? You know, what about us? How has Jesus changed you in the past? How is he presently changing you, right? Because he's always working on us. But do you remember, do you proclaim, do you profess how Jesus has changed you? You know, one of the things that, that um, I really feel like God really honestly healed me from uh, in my life specifically was uh, hatred. Um, I, I don't think I can reasonably overemphasize this. I hated my stepmother. Um, I would literally lay in bed at night hating her. I would stay up despising her. Um, and my dad's actually now previously, that's his previous marriage. He's now uh, married to another woman who's amazing. I keep telling him not to mess it up because she's awesome. But, <laughs> but I, I hated this woman. And I, I, I remember talking and, and telling people about it. I remember talking to my mom about it. And, and she could see it was unhealthy. Uh, they didn't have a good relationship, to say the least. But she didn't want, she saw how I felt. She didn't, I know she didn't want me to feel that way. Right? But I could not let it go. When I studied the Bible, I saw what my sin did to God for the first time. I, I came to understand what, what my sin actually meant to Jesus, to put Jesus on the cross. I saw that even when I was immoral and pure, when I was into all of my sin, the, the drugs and drinking and totally lying, deceit, complete two-faced hypocrisy of, of Christianity, Christianity, Jesus, I was an enemy of God and Jesus still died for me. And once I realized how much I'd sinned against God, how, how intense my sin was against God, and yet I, God still forgave me and loved me, I realized I had to let go of my hatred. Right? And, and that changed me. I actually went from, I learned to be able to love my stepmother. Right? And I won't tell you that we had this beautiful relationship. I mean, I do still email with her every once in a while and she tells me that James is cute and I, she got remarried and said congratulations. And, and, and I mean, we have a cordial relationship now and I can tell you that I have love in my heart for her. But that was a radical... I mean, I wish that I could help you fully understand the radical change in my heart that that was. And it happened because of the cross. It happened because of Jesus. Right? And, and there's so many other things I could share, but that, that one I know was, that was totally because of Jesus and the cross. But what about you? How has Jesus healed and changed you, right? Do you remember those things? 
And how do you think he's changing you today? You know, for me today, I think I'll just putting it quickly, I think I'd say he is changing and helping me be more like him in my marriage now as a parent. And honestly, in this ministry, teaching me a lot about him, what it means to to love when I don't want to keep loving sometimes. Right. And then with James, it's like I need to tell more stories about James because. But he's teaching me so much that when I look at my son, as much as I love him, God loves me even more than that. God loves me more than I love him. That's crazy when you think about that idea. The person you love the most, you, you, God loves you exponentially more than you love that person, which is incredible. You know, I love to think about that idea. But I think that's a major part of this scripture and looking at Jesus or this young, this man attesting to what God has done in his life. We're going to go through this in chunks, but in verse 13 through 17, I want to point this out to you. They bring him before the Pharisees, right? He's there. They're asking him how he's healed. He's attesting to the power of Jesus in his life, right? They said, how did this happen? You know, he's like, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Right? They know it was Jesus. He's proclaiming that. But what I find is interesting here is that these Pharisees, they have this internal struggle. Because they're saying, some are saying, this man's not from God because he healed on the Sabbath. And then some are saying, but how could they do such good things if the man's not from God? So there's an internal conflict. How do I... How does this apply to us today? I want, you, I want you to consider something. Does our world acknowledge that compassion, mercy, uh, let's say forgiveness, uh, all of these things are good things? I mean, generally, a, a lot of our world will acknowledge that, hey, kindness, that's a good thing. We should be kind, Right? And when we look at this, I mean, the idea of love, mercy, compassion, justice, all of these our secular world will promote. They say, these are good. These are great things. And then when you look back at the teachings of Jesus, you see that those are all things that Jesus has been teaching, his teachings promoted 2,000 years ago. Right? And, And they produced good things. But one thing I notice is that the world, including here, the world's leadership will say, hey, those are really good things. But they won't necessarily submit to the idea that Jesus is a man from God. They'll say those are really good teachings, but I don't I don't believe he's from God. Now, the Pharisees would do this, I believe, in part because they lose their power. The Pharisees would lose their power if they recognized Jesus' authority as the Messiah. Things would radically change. But they also know that he's doing good things. And you look, if you read through the scripture, they constantly have this battle. I would argue strongly that the same thing happens today. Where the world tells us, these are all good things. All of Jesus' teachings are good. But leave your Jesus as out of my life as an authority. Do you guys get what I'm saying? Right? 
Because the world can say and, and can't deny the power of Jesus' teachings. They can't deny that it's good. But they will try and try and try to deny Jesus. But what does this young man do? He proclaims the change in his life. He says, look, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. But what I do know is I was changed. I think we can all take this lesson away. When the world tells us or causes us to throw some doubt at us, we've got to go, I know the change that I've experienced because of Jesus. Does that make sense? Yes. We can know that. We can affirm it. We can uh, yell it from the rooftops, grab somebody by the lapels and tell them, he's changed me, right? Kyle's wearing lapels, so you know. <laughs> but I would say in this, looking at us, don't let the world cause you to doubt and struggle with your belief in Jesus, right? And so even the people, I'll move through this a little bit faster, guys, but when we look at this, the next thing that happens is we come to what? His parents, right? His parents. The people you'd think that would be flat out overjoyed that this kid had been healed, that their child had been healed of blindness. You know, when I think about somebody doing something good for my child, like, I've got to respect that person. I've got to, I, I, I'd appreciate them, right? If somebody ran out and grabbed James at some point, which praise, pray to God that never happens, but grabs him out of the street just before a car comes by, the level of my gratitude to that individual would be extreme, Right? And you've got to wonder how, how these parents felt. But, I'm sure they felt overjoyed. I have a hard time believing they wouldn't. However, what they didn't, weren't able to do because of pressure from the world was acknowledge Jesus. Right? They weren't able to acknowledge Jesus. And I've seen this happen uh, before many times. Where parents, and I've studied with a number of college students, I've seen college students radically change their life. I mean, like, frat boy style, change their life, extreme end, to become a very different person. And parents giving thanks and praise, and I mean, just so much. And, I, and not just with people I've converted, but seeing other people do it. But then you know what happens? They come back and they, they're unwilling. Some of them are unwilling to admit that it was God that changed them. They find reason after reason to deny the power of God, even in their own kid's life. And, and I really believe that it's because of their unwillingness to let go of their own control in their lives. Right? And, and why do, how does that apply to us? Maybe if you're, you're, you're not a kid anymore, your parents maybe don't uh, care, but you've... You've probably changed your life a lot. Your life can look like Jesus's. And we should be attesting to it. People will try to deny it. Even people close to us. Right? But I guess my encouragement to you is will you keep talking about it? Will you keep talking about it? Will you, even if the people who should support you don't support you, can you and will you continue to preach Jesus? Because that's what we see in this young man. He continued to say, this is how it happened to me, right? 
Does that make sense? And I think for us, we can all go, He knew how Jesus changed him. Do you know how Jesus changed you? Do you reflect? Right? Do you consider and carefully remember what Jesus has done for you? You know, and and lastly, I think, not lastly, but I think here when we look at it, in 24 through 34, what do the Pharisees do to him? They come to him, they challenge him again, they order him to tell the truth. They essentially call God and they're like, you know, give honor to God. You know, they're saying, tell the truth. And he's like, I have told the truth. You know, what do you want from me? Um, He's challenging them. They bite back at him. And what I think is funny is he actually, I think it's very likely this this young man, you got to think about what it was like to be blind, but this young man was blind his whole life was a beggar. He was still probably trained, at least to some degree, to know Scripture. He's a Jewish boy. Jewish, um, I mean, all Jewish kids were trained up to know Scripture. It was an auditory, like, um, auditory? I'm losing the word. But in the way they taught, it was an oral kind of teaching method back then. And so, it's very likely he could have learned this stuff still by listening to it. Knowing these Scriptures. But I, I want you to flip, well... Isaiah 35, it's very interesting that he references, I believe he's referencing this scripture. In Isaiah 35. Because when they're saying, we don't even know where he's from, they're denying the power of Jesus. Whether advertently or inadvertently, he's, he's using this. In verse chapter 5, he says this. Then the blind, then will the eyes of the blind be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Right? He's he's. If you go back and you read through this, there, there's a lot of prophecy about Jesus all throughout the book of Isaiah. But he's talking about Jesus and the idea that there's there's a, in Isaiah 45 as well. He's also talking about again, but the eyes of the blind and the ears of the the deaf will be opened. And Jesus is saying. My, I was blind, and now I see. And then he also is, I believe, referencing uh, two different scriptures in Proverbs. Proverbs 28.9, if you're taking notes. And Proverbs 15.29, if you go and look at them later. But he's saying, God doesn't listen to the unrighteous. He listens to those who do the will of God. And what he does is he uses scripture, and he uses logic to combat them. Right? And, and using scripture and logic against them to go... This guy had to be from God. And I guess for us, I go, how do you do these days when you're contested at using your Bible to defend Jesus? It's not like this kid had Braille to read, right? And so, or this guy had Braille to read. It's, it's, maybe he's learned this a long time ago. But he's referencing these things and he's telling these men. And the reason I think he, he knows these scriptures is because they get super offended. Right? What do they say? How dare you lecture us? Right? Um, but I look at the scripture and I go, guys, how do we do at knowing our Bibles and defending Jesus? Both with scripture and with logic. Are you prepared to answer, as Paul's written that we should be, right? Why you have the hope you believe. And, and I think we, we can be, but it takes time. And all of this, I think, we look at this young man, he gets thrown out, and we go, this guy just lost everything. 
right? But he didn't. We're going to finish up here. I'm wrapping it up in verse 35. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? You see, he's standing in front of Jesus. He doesn't even know it's him, really. I bet. He says, Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. Right? You know, I said, uh, Sight for the Blind, or one of the titles could be, Are You Blind? Are you blind? Have you been blind? Or are you someone that can see? And have always been able to? I was blind. And God helped me to see. Right? I've been changed by Jesus. I know what Jesus has done in my life. I remember. Do you remember as this young man remembers? I hope, and, and I want to challenge you today. Go back and think through just this week. Take some time. What is God? What are some of the ways that God has changed you? Remember. Increase your faith. Dwell on the things that God has done in your life. You'll remember. You'll be inspired. You'll be encouraged. You'll feel loved. You'll want to grab somebody and tell them. Let me tell you what my God has done for me. And even if they deny, I hope you keep talking. If they won't believe, and you can show them scripture, and you can use logic, and you can do these things, but don't stop talking about what God has done for you. Our God is amazing. I hope that we can be a people that will be Jesus, that we are now the light of the world, that we can bring sight to the blind, that if we are, let's not be the blind leading the blind, but those who once were, now helping lead others to the light of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's change our city, church. Amen.